0: Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk
1: about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co host, James, and we are Unashamed Unafraid.
0: James! What's up, Steve? Have you ever been more excited for an episode? You are a giddy little (laughs) schoolboy. I am
1: totally a giddy little schoolboy. So for this episode, we have on none other than Jennifer Finlayson Fife. So amazing. JFF, as they say in the streets. Yes, it is. Um, And... I'm a big fan of hers. I've listened to so much of her content and just love her perspective on so many aspects of sexuality,
0: of choice, accountability, ownership. Um, Well, and I think she kind of has embodied for you, which I totally have learned from you, is like, we have to undemonize this. Like You cannot approach recovery and sexuality with like... There is bad and good. Yeah. Now, now, I'm not saying like, hey, let's endorse porn or cheating on your spouse. But when we have this idea of there's don't do it and you're a good person, uh-huh. but if you do do it then you are a bad person
1: right and so listening to her stuff really to your point helped me de-demonize it by it kind of helped me kind of unplug that shame iv that just got was stuck in my arm when it came to pornography like it was just this intravenous thing of shame all the time around porn she helped me kind of unplug that a little bit and was like "Nope, you don't need to make this this monster bigger than it really is
0: well and then and that's a struggle which which it was, I'm going to tell you kind of how we came into this episode was that's a struggle of, because so often you hear guys say, you know, there's a good guy and a bad guy in our marriage.
1: Mm, yeah. And
0: I, the addict, right? Male or female, right? I, the addict, am the bad person. Right. I'm in the one down. I've done the bad things. And so uh, the best I can do is stop doing it, And then spend the rest of my life paying my penance in my prison sentence as the one down in this marriage. Right. And that's just a paradigm that doesn't work. Right. And she addresses that so beautifully in the episode here. So So beautifully. Yeah.
1: Some major truth bombs get dropped along the way. Um, And frankly, some ownership for you and I around stuff that what we can step into and own a little bit more uh, in our own lives.
0: No, I mean, we probably need to like Venmo her some money because when we got to the end, (laughs) I I just, we did, we're like, there's so, we're getting called so much into being true and owning our authentic self that James, you and I stepped into, and I'm going to give mad props. She also stepped into some of her, her authenticity and her struggle. And, um, I mean, it was, So much respect for that. She
1: full on went unashamed, unafraid with us.
0: It just got raw real. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, it was so cool. Um, And uh, we have something fun coming with this. Yes, we do.
1: Um, So Jennifer Finlayson Fife has some courses. uh, That can be
0: found at?
1: At finlaysonfife.com. And if you go there, she has some courses on there. And two of her most popular ones are The Art of Desire, which is a women's course, and a men's course called The Art of Loving. And Jennifer has graciously offered uh, to... Double up. Yeah. yeah. So we we offered We to, said we want a scholarship to yeah, these. We said, can we have a scholarship to each of these? And she said, yes, and we'll match you and give you another one. So we have four... We have four scholarships to Jennifer Finlayson Five courses: two for the art of loving, two for the art of desire. And we will
0: put more on that on our social media. So keep and listening. And you can find those scholarships at unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships. And if you are in the mindset of knowing that you want to give back, we are a nonprofit, 501c3, in which you can donate unashamedunafraid.com slash donate, get bonus content, some cool things. And that is how we pay for those scholarships. No one gets paid. Poor Jason edits all this audio for free, and all of us on the team do this for free. So we can fund more scholarships. So if you'd like to become an outsider who are bold, accepted, and unashamed, we invite you to go there. Follow us at social media at Unashamed Unafraid. Give us five stars on iTunes. That's how the world finds us, and we'll be able to find this episode in the hope that is in it. And James. Steven. You ready? Let's rock and roll. Let's jump in with JFF. Jennifer, is this real life?
2: Is this real life?
0: We're here. Can you believe this,
2: James? (laughs) It's kind of a miracle,
1: really. (laughs) I'm a little bit starstruck, frankly. Um, Big fan of yours. A lot of years listening to your podcasts. Um, It's made a a big difference, not only in my life, but in the lives of some of my closest friends as well. So thank you for the work that you do and uh, for the difference that you're making in the world.
0: Thank so, you. So we always like to let everyone introduce themselves, um, so because we find people are better at doing that than us totally butchering their work and what they've done. So um, d- for anyone who has like lived under several rocks and does not know who you are or is familiar with your work, <laughs> uh, introduce yourself.
2: So I'm Jennifer finlayson Fife and I um, am a therapist and coach and educator of uh, with a particular focus on Latter-day Saints um, and the particular focus of helping people create more intimate, loving, passionate marriages. So I uh, I got my PhD at Boston College, and I wrote my dissertation on LDS women and sexuality. And just perhaps because of the need for it and the, uh, you know, the presence of the internet, I've just You know, had a natural kind of movement towards helping people, especially online through online courses and podcasting and things like that, to just help people think through the challenges that they're facing in their most important relationships. So, yeah. And then I'm married and have three kids. (laughs) And I'm currently (laughs) uh, in Savannah, Georgia on vacation.
0: Which which James and I are jealous of as we're sitting here in uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. So, um, so cool. Um, so, uh, look down, right. Description page where to, uh, find all of Jennifer's work and programs and all of that. But so we're really excited to have you here for this one, because this is a conversation we've had a lot. Um, and so as right people who have done some things in their marriage that are very uh, disparaging. So I'll just speak from the eye, right? So uh, prostitution, a big part of my story, stealing money from the family business, Um, been through church discipline a couple of times. Uh, So definitely want to own, like, I've done some messed up stuff as far as talking to the intimacy of our marriage and relationship. Like, I have, I, I describe it when I share my story, like, I didn't, like, push over a fence. I, like, dropped a nuclear bomb. Like, right? Yeah. Um, with Kayla. Yeah. And so, um, but we see a lot as people enter recovery that it's hard. And I know my circumstance is not the only circumstance that fits this, but where something happens in the relationship. So for a lot of our audience, it's a- acting out in some sexual behavior, cheating on a spouse, porn addiction, something like that. But how do you get a relationship back into balance? Because we see it on both sides where, um, you know, the spouse is like, hey, you're fine. I've forgiven you. But the person, the partner who has acted out is like, no, I'm always in a permanent one down, which I don't think is serving anyone. And I know there's been the reverse that it's like, hey, because you cheated on me, I am always in a one up position in this relationship. And it's For like sure. this thing that that all of us out here have made some really big mistakes. Like it's, it's part of the, I think the journey back to a healthy connected relationship. And so um, we figured if anyone could help us just put the pieces together on that, it's going to be some JFF.
2: <laughs> awesome. I will try anyway. <laughs> so, so take me to your question again. So um, do you, did you want me to, respond yet or do you have another yeah
0: no just how how do we get back to balance
2: well you know a lot of times people think about it as if there's been a breach in the marriage or something deeply disruptive like an affair or uh, an infidelity a, a deception or dishonesty that there's some desire to kind of go back to what you had and you can't ever really go back I mean because there's been a change in the relationship. And I would see it also in some ways as an exposure. And that is not to say that you know you had to make the choices you made, but the limitations that exist in people often don't become evident to us until we start living our lives and making choices. And our mistakes expose our liabilities. They expose where we're blind to ourselves or to other people. And so, when you are confronting a choice that you've made, it's really what is, how does the couple make meaning of that? And do they use that to grow into stronger, better people, more capable of trust, more capable of love, more capable of intimacy? So, it's extremely disruptive to one's sense of self, to one's sense of one's partner, to what the marriage is because it exposes something you hadn't seen or didn't want to see. And so it's, it's really unsettling, of course. But the couples that thrive are able to tolerate the exposures in it and grow into better people through it. So the couples that thrive are able to actually kind of create a cohesive narrative between them of what the meaning is of what happened and who they've become in the face of that. So it's the fact of their growth, their courage, their development, either, you know, it could be one is developing more than the other, of course, but there's something in that narrative that has a redemption in it and a strength in it. And that's the basis for the trust in the future.
0: So I love that. Um, So help me, because maybe I'm a little bit slow on some of this, but um, so when you're talking about that exposure... Um, like exposure to, cause, cause what I always fear is like, I never at any point in time want to blame Kayla, right? My wife for any of my behavior. I want, I never want to be and early, right? Working with people early. They're like, well, if I had more sex in my marriage, if, and I'm like, look, there may have been problems in the marriage, but you didn't have to go do that. So what, tell me what you mean by like exposure, like exposing of like we use infidelity as the example.
2: It it, it it it's exposure of how the marriage was operating and or how people in the marriage were operating so my maybe it exposed your entitlement or in the face of when you're not getting what you want that you justify taking you justify exploiting, you justify you know doing what you want when you feel that you're you know, I'm just going to say what, like your, your narcissistic reinforcement. I'm not calling you narcissist, but I'm just saying, you know, like this reinforcement of your sense of self wasn't getting fulfilled in the marriage, which a marriage never can fulfill. Right. Okay. Yes. (laughs) You're never going to honestly have somebody who just sits around and adores you all the time, except for my husband. (laughs) No, just kidding. (laughs) And uh, you never are going to get it any of us. Okay. So when you take that as like uh a justification to go and get it elsewhere and to mask from your spouse, you're going and getting it elsewhere. Well, that exposes your character, exposes how your mind's operating. It -hmm. probably exposes what you learned in your family of origin, Mm -hmm. right? And and that's not to blame your parents either. I mean, what I mean is there's multiple factors that are shaping how you've put meaning together, but your choices, your behavior exposes those meanings. What are the meanings that you have created that have perhaps sustained your sense of self, but now the limitations in them are exposing themselves through the choices you've made? And sometimes people just want to be like, that was just a mistake and let's not talk about it anymore. Let's not think about it anymore. Like never going to happen again. And and that might be true sometimes, but a lot of times it's like, I just don't want to deal with what I see about myself or my spouse. Let's bury it. And that actually makes people less able to glean from it the lessons about who they are so they can make wiser, clearer choices going forward.
1: So if I'm compulsively using pornography and I'm not sure why, how can I get down to this roots of of what you're talking about, of, of understanding? How can
2: you
0: expose?
1: Yeah, how can I expose yeah. that within me and understand what, yeah. What really is going to be that root problem within me then?
2: Right. Well, first of all, I think that a lot of times, um, especially, you know, in faith based communities, there's a, so much fear of pornography that we're just trying to slap it down and say, don't do it and, and stay away as far away from it as you can. And we're, we're so reactive to it that we have a hard time learning from it. Like if somebody's compulsively going to video games, there's a little bit more room to think about why? What's mm-hmm. this person trying to solve? What is the thing that's not happening in their life or is happening in their life? That drowning in video games is a better choice. Okay. <laughs> right. And and so it allows you when it's not so charged like pornography is, it just gives you a little more room, or somebody has a food compulsivity or something. There can be all kinds of shame attached to it. And sometimes to the detriment of looking at why am I going to food or why am I going to video games or why am I going to porn? What am I trying to solve? What is it the fear? Now, when you look to somebody to help you solve it and all they say is because you're a disgusting person, okay, well, that that doesn't help so much, right? Or because you're just somebody who's so hedonistic and self serving, that doesn't help very much. There's usually meanings, you need wiser sources of information sometimes to to settle yourself down a bit and look at what is operating in this moment that this is where I go uh,
0: so and, big. yeah go ahead i'm just if you didn't catch everything that just happened in the last ten minutes, rewind because I, I feel like you've just dropped like fifty gems. Because there, I think there is a, a culture amongst the eyes, the the you know addicts and people struggling. And I know it's it's we put it only on men. I know there are women who struggle too. We and we just sure. had a couple episodes with female addicts. So now I'm just speaking yeah. from the men because I am one and can only speak to my yeah. experience. But um, there's this. Hey, if I can just eliminate that behavior. And and you're right. There are some people who, because of cultural circumstances, like I would describe them as a dry drunk. Like I'm, con- I'm right. like, congratulations, you have locked yourself in a basement where there is no yep. technology and you will never view porn. But exactly. I think what you said is so key. Like that exposure, they missed it. Yes. Like what the actual exactly. change or healing in the relationship could have been, they missed.
2: That's right. Exactly. So it's it's not it's not a success to just not have access anymore. Or I see people who do that. They white knuckle and they say, okay, sex is not for me because I can't handle myself around it. Mm
0: -hmm. But then
2: they're, they have not made them, they haven't grown into somebody who's free internally and who's capable of loving through their sexuality, who's capable of an intimate partnership. And when we make sex the problem, we kind of set people up to not grow into something richer and so much better. You know my my son has told me I can talk about this if it's helpful to people, but he, in high school, was just really starting to struggle with self-doubt and anxiety and kind of a perfectionism that was very internal. I was not I wasn't tracking it because he would act a bit like he didn't care about things. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than I feel like I might not succeed. And so, therefore, I'm going to avoid it. And he was turning more and more to video games. And it was easy to want to see that as like, why are you being lazy? Why don't you care, right? But he was trying to manage an anxiety within him. And so, he was going to it way too much and getting more anxious and more depressed. Well, he got some help around it, some really valuable help. And, you know, a year later now, this kind of came to a head as the the pandemic started for him. And he's just happy, comfortable in his own skin, making good relationships. And he plays video games sometimes, you know, (laughs) but it's like, it's not a place to go anymore. There's no need for him to go there because what he has in his life is so much better than that. And so if we had just said, you don't get to have the internet anymore, we are just shutting it all down. (laughs) He would not, not only probably he would have worked harder to still get it. <laughs> what right. it <laughs> like, you're not taking it from me. I'm getting it. Uh, <laughs> but also it wouldn't have healed and helped him grow into what he needed, which is to, to come to some resolution about himself and to be in better, more intimate connection with the people that are around him and that, you know, deeper friendship.
0: Totally. And, so. and, and we see people shift too really quick. Uh, James, people shift. So I I had one guy who said to me, he's like, oh, I used to be a total workaholic. I didn't have a porn problem, but I've solved my workaholic problem and now I just view porn all the time. And I'm like, you, you right. just, just switch lanes, friend. The exposure that you're talking about didn't happen. And so often people shift lanes to where either culturally it's acceptable or their partner finds it acceptable. Because there's a lot of partners who'll say, hey, you can be a workaholic, that's fine, just don't look at porn. Or you can be, right, compulsively right. eating to where it's damaging your okay. health significantly, but just don't do this right. or that or, yeah, and it just doesn't work.
2: That's right.
1: So I was going to ask you a little bit about, so t- with your the example that you gave of your son, the difference between then and now is ultimately he came to some sort of resolution within himself around who he was, who he wanted to be. He found he got some good help. Um, yes. And then you also mentioned he found meaningful connection outside of himself. Um, yes. Can you give any hot tips on how do I come to build some of that resolution within myself? Um, what kind of internal work would I need to to go on? Well, I
2: think, yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, for him, it was having a good, wise therapist that was helping him look at his relationship to himself and look at his relationship to some of the meanings that he was carrying about his life that were kind of high demand. And then he was rebelling against these high demand meanings and sort of working against himself. And so it was having somebody kind of think, help him think through these meanings and um, come to deeper integrity within himself. Like, who do I really want to be in the world? What, what do I want to make my God, so to speak? What is it that I want to kind of make my life be about through my choices? And so I think it in some ways started with a good connection um but it's also about having the courage to look at yourself and so and to look at yourself with some honesty but also what's the way to say it like with some care and kindness to yourself around i see what i'm doing i want to do right by me and my i want to care about what this means about me and how i even feel about myself because sometimes we put this in what i'm doing to my spouse you know what what god thinks about it Mm -hmm. as opposed to also like, is this the life I want to lead? I, you know, worked with a client who was going to all kinds of addiction recovery programs, but just, and he would go into periods of nothing, nothing, nothing. And then he would just kind of flip the switch and go the other way and be looking four hours a day, putting his, you know, job security at risk and things. But it was always in this comply and defy. It was sort of like, Everybody else expects it of me. I'll do it so that I look like the good person. But then I'm angry about feeling controlled by everyone. So then I'll rebel against it. So he would always be in this kind of power struggle. And it wasn't until the focus came on who does he want to be? What does he really want for his life? What kind of man does he want to become? Like then the internal locus of control made a huge difference in getting out of this um, conflicted relationship to indulgence. Yeah. So, so therapy can do it, you know, but wise input, you know, I have this art of loving course for men where I'm really helping men to really think about,
0: Oh, we want to talk about that course. Don't you worry. (laughs) Okay. But keep going. I do
2: talk a lot about porn in that, like kind of what are the meanings that it is in your life? What is it? Why are you going to it? What is the meaning for you? What are you trying to solve? just to help people have more self-reflective capacity with some of my input around kind of what those possibilities may be for them and where they might be able to go Mm -hmm. with it in a way that's healthier for them and not only creates more peace in their intimate relationships, but very, very importantly, more peace within oneself. Because you can't be in an intimate relationship with someone if you aren't fundamentally on some level at peace with yourself that you let them know you, that you let them experience you, that be, you know, that, you know, I think some of the most attractive appealing men have a kind of comfort and solitude within themselves, right? Because they're at peace with who they are. And so they're easy to be close to.
1: So, how do we make room for introspection and acceptance when porn is your coping mechanism, for example, and there's just too much fear and shame around that?
2: Well, you, you have to, yes. I mean, that's part of the problem. And that's, that's one thing that I do in the course is I'm trying to just say, let's, let's just step back for just a minute and just take a look at it and let's look at why is it appealing and, and what's normal about that? And, and completely legit about that. Okay, right. And, um, you know, for example, when I was a kid, 11 years old or something, my dad had a book on the top shelf of his office uh, bookshelf called The Naked Communist. Okay. And it was a political book. <laughs> I didn't know that but I like scale I took my life in my hands to see if there were any naked pictures in there <laughs> so that just <laughs> means I was normal okay, I mean maybe some people listening will be like no that means you're clearly a pervert <laughs> i I take that as yeah I had a natural a curiosity about sexuality now I felt you know like I didn't want my parents to know I'm climbing there to see what there's and there were no pictures <laughs> of naked communists inside just words. But, you know, that's, but, you know, a lot of times if we can just step back a minute and say, this is not a corrupt part of you. This is a natural and and human part of you that you're drawn to sexuality. And particularly for men, I think sexual gaze is especially powerful. I think it's a part of testosterone and part of, mm-hmm. of and there's even a spirituality in it, which I know sounds really kind of sacrilegious when I say that, but they're there's not certainly this appreciation of femininity, of feminine beauty is a wonderful part of masculinity. And I'm not saying that that means looking at porn four hours a day is good for anybody, um, but there is an element of it that is good and right and and um, contributes to the good life. So to just kind of normalize what's happening, but then seeing when it becomes corrupt in the sense that it's working against you so working against what you want to create in your life you know you just have to i mean what the question's a good one because if you've only heard these shaming messages it's really unhelpful and it, and that's a lot of times when people hear me say that they think i'm promo, that i now i'm in favor of pornography and it's that's not it like can we see what's happening enough that we can get in the driver's seat totally it's a lot Yeah, it's a lot like with food. You know, I think there's a lot of parallels between um, sexual compulsivity and food compulsivity. Women tend to have more food-related struggles and men more sexuality-related struggles around the compulsivity is what I mean anyway. Mm -hmm. And they're both like of the body. They're both about creating moderation. They're about managing the issues of pleasure and self-respect. So you can't just swear them off. You can't just say, I, you know, I'm just turning... Well, a lot of people try to turn off sexuality or turn off food, but it doesn't go well. And so, you know, it's easier sometimes when I talk to people about this idea that if you just grew up in an environment where just the fact that you like sweets or that you want cake or something makes you a deformed or in some way defective person, that is not going to increase your ability... To make wise choices around that pleasure that only makes you go into either full anorexia or repression or you know bulimia or you know indulgence, sexual indulgence. So this this messaging interferes with a process of discerning how do I integrate this pleasure and joy in my life in a way that blesses my life, that makes it richer you have to come to wise moderation and by moderation i don't mean neutral and boring i mean like it's integrated balance
0: yeah harm yeah
2: a balance exactly in your life around these pleasures if you're really going to have joy and so it is a spiritual process so i some ways what i'm trying to say is normalizing it. it doesn't mean you're broken it means there's a process that you can engage in to get more anchored into your integrity and your and your self respect, you can create a relationship to the pleasures in life that make your life richer, stronger, and better.
0: Yeah. And I, I, it was interesting because when you talked about that gaze, right. And I think, like you say, I think maybe people listening would move right past that and be like, did she say she's pro porn? Like, no, but, but so I've been thinking a lot, like doing some more meditation and stuff. We talk about you know if you go a little Eastern yin yang right, masculine, feminine energy, which yeah. is not gender related. They yeah. just use those words. Right. That part of the masculine energy is to just witness, to be still, to just yeah. and so that gaze right, the power of of gaze and eye contact and seeing someone in in a in a, in a slow. I, like, I see you, James, like I, right. We're, although obviously this is a podcast, like I see you, Jennifer, and just, just to see yeah. you as you talk and to witness you, that, that creates a different level of intimacy in our conversation than if you and I right. were just on the phone. And so I, I think that's so powerful. The, the shifting of that, it's the per- whole perspective shift. Right. And because yeah. oftentimes it, like you say, it's about, um, behavior right like can we get this you to do the right behavior because if you do which that's not all bad it just i, I understand yeah. the end game is if people are doing good behavior they'll be happy and live good lives and yeah you know but the how is it really messes with the how in there and so the question I have with this exposure is: so if I if I'm listening right and, and I'm hearing you right now, and I'm like, oh, like this is what this is all about, and I'm struggling with, you know, grandiosity, narcissism, like I'm I'm in my exposure. How do I how do I bring my partner into my process of? hey, I've got exposure going on because I thought it was interesting when you said, right, we comply and then defy. So I have a saying from my friend Magic Mark um, that the, uh, there's no such thing as resistance, just lack of safety. Mm. I
2: and have the, to think about what that means. Okay, there's no such yeah. thing as resistance.
0: So I'm not resistant. I'm, I, the only reason I'm is because I'm not safe. So I think about it, right, when I have clients come in and they don't want to share their whole story with me. They don't want to say all the things. It's like, well, because it's not safe enough. But once it gets safe enough, they'll say all the things. And and one of the greatest ways to not be safe is compliance, right? Like if I just say... Okay, well, whatever you want me to do, Jennifer, I'll do that. Then that's a way for yeah, me to stay definitely. safe because just, I'll just do whatever you're telling me to do. But then to your point, it's going to come out sideways with me later, between us, whatever. And so if I'm worried about that safety, because if I go tell my spouse, hey, I've got this exposure that um, I'm a total tool about some of my stuff. Cause there's a part of that that's just real. Anyone struggling with compulsive yeah. behavior, like totally to your point, using yes. me as an example, there was a part of me that's like, I will just control and force to get my needs met. And I won't care about anyone else. As I was acting yeah. out, there's totally a huge part of that. that I'm like, nope, other people don't have feelings and I don't care because it's about yep. me. And so how do, I, how do I bring that to a spouse or a partner who has been damaged by that? How do I keep the safety and do the exposure yeah. like well, all at the same time? What,
2: yeah. So first of all, I would say there's nothing that makes your spouse safer than be your honesty.
0: Ooh, that's real. That's the truth. <laughs> yep. If you don't know, now you know.
2: <laughs> yeah. Because that may not make them like you. It may not make them trust you. Okay, because you're de- you're saying I'm not trustworthy. <laughs> Mm-hmm. right? That's what a lot of us would say if we're being really honest is I am not trustworthy. Trusting mm-hmm. me is a bad idea at this point. Mm-hmm. I, I want to become a trustworthy person, but you, you, I don't have that now. That is horrible as that feels and unsafe as it feels. It's actually the safest moment in the marriage so far, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? If, it, if that's been something that has been being hidden because oftentimes in, in marriages, there's a kind of a collusion in, okay, trust the untrustworthy if you're the spouse that wants to trust the person who's dishonest, let's just put it in the gender typical frame right now around this issue of just like, well, I'm just going to turn a blind eye because I want so much to trust my husband. That's fundamentally unsafe and it's unwise uh, because you're, you're you're in a, a collusive pretense and that keeps both people from growing. Mm-hmm. You know, I often think about the work I do is I'm more of a surgeon than I am a nurse, <laughs> which is okay. It's like the marriage is dysmorphic. There has been too much dishonesty in it and collusion and dishonesty. And I, I can say more what I mean by collusion. Mm-hmm. So it's growing in these dysmorphic ways and it's it's unhealthy. It It's limiting what it can do. Because, you know, the hips aren't aligned and so it can't walk and climb mountains. (laughs) So I come in and I like, with honesty, like break the bones (laughs) and it hurts and it feels like I have no anesthesia either for this process. (laughs) And it it does hurt because then you're sort of facing like this is something I've not wanted to see or I've been able to be blind to not not willfully or out of some, you know, but more just like I've been able to kind of hide from something, but it's been hurting me. And so, when there's more honesty, then there's a chance to grow in the right way, to grow in stronger ways. So, you don't want to manage, sometimes we confuse the the word safety with feeling safe. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the wrong idea, because if you're waiting to feel safe in life, you'll wait a very, very long time. (laughs) Because to live is to kind of tolerate risk and uncertainty. And, and so, and, I, and think I would say the, the more risk you, you
0: can take in, the more you can grow, the more you can live. Yes,
2: exactly. The more you can thrive and, and then the safer you ultimately get because the roadmap you're operating with is an accurate one. So, if you want to be safe, you want to know where the potholes are. <laughs> you want to know where the dangerous parts of town are. And if you stay blind, then, you know, I'm walking around a new town here. So, you know, you get your map and you're kind of knowing where where are good places to go. The more accurate, the more helpful for living a good life. But when we're afraid to know things about ourselves, about our partner, about life, and we're like, I want this to be Disneyland. I don't care where I am. I want it to be what I want it to be. You know, we can do that instinctively without even knowing we're we're lying to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then we but that's unsafe because we are imagining we're in one territory when in fact we're in another.
0: Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, so so speak more speak more to that collusion because that yeah, is a big thing.
2: <laughs> right. Right. Well, the collusion is, you know, I want I want what I want and I want to imagine that well, let me just do it from maybe the typical feminine version of this, which is you know, a lot of times people will rush into marriage in part because they don't want to necessarily know who they're marrying. They just want that person to be what they've projected onto that person. And this is a, this is a mutual process usually for people when they get married. It's like, you seem everything, you seem everything. I'm reflecting back what an amazing person you are. You're reflecting that back to me. Let's lock this in before either of us knows too much. <laughs> okay. And what that collusion is, I think a bit is, I want to believe that you're going to be this person who will love me and accept me and make my life good. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I just want so much for that to be true that I don't want to really, really know who you are and ask myself the question of, am I prepared to really love you? I want to be loved and I want to imagine you're the perfect provider of love, but I don't want to necessarily be awake to you and your limitations. And so I think especially if we've been socialized into the idea, and again, I'll just do it from the feminine version of like, if you if you marry well, he's going to caretake you and, and and manage your sense of safety in the world and, you know, and give you a life and happiness. Well, then you want to kind of imagine he's the prince and I don't want to know too much and you might be anxious about things in the world and you may feel insecure, but I don't really want to know that much because I want to imagine You're who I want you to be, Mm -hmm. and so that's part of the going blind. And then often the, the masculine is like, "Well, I want to be the strong provider of strength and capacity." But why doesn't she admire me more, and why doesn't she appreciate me more? And I resent that, so I'm going to still kind of hide the vulnerability I feel and the uncertainty and the anger. But I'll keep giving her a picture that I think she wants. But I resent, in some ways, the way I feel used in this way. And so I can go and justify other things for myself. Right.
0: right. Cause the picture is that's, not that's real. The collusion. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, just the picture is not real. And so you're, right. you're, there's a picture painted there that is not what a human being looks like or is. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm the other partner attempting to fit that picture, That is not real. I mean, I remember I was in a in a in a group with Miss Courtney, who we had on a podcast ago. And I remember she looked at me and she's like, "I am so sad for you that you thought perfection was real, like that you got taught that that Prince image was something that you should chase, Stephen." And it just, I mean, it blew me up because you know if I was if I was being honest in that moment, I based my whole life on that. That that if I'm Prince enough, and yeah, so there's this dance. I think. You said that so beautifully.
2: Yeah, and and exactly. And we, you know, I don't blame us for wanting Disneyland. (laughs) I don't blame us for wanting a world free of suffering and limitation. I mean, it's certainly natural to want it and to imagine, you know, we can have it. And I can't, I'm not here to say that you can't have a life that has a lot of joy in it and a lot of strength in it and a lot of rich meaning but the path is not perfectionism. That's a denial of what the human experience really is. Mm, Say that again. Yeah. The the, the perfectionism is to deny what the human experience really is. Perfectionism, in my opinion, is anti-spiritual. Yeah.
0: Just mic drops. Just mic drops. If you don't know, now you know. Rewind that. Three minutes. You're welcome. Yep. So
1: yeah. uh, Jennifer, I know that I'm switching gears just slightly on this, but you had brought up um, the, the the integration um, that yes. needs to happen, um, and I know that that is part of your um, the Art of Loving course that you're that you're doing right now. Yes. Um, yes. And I had a friend, um, a couple of friends, take that course and and found that that part of the course was. Really, um, an eye opener for them. Can you just give us expand on that just a little bit more about? Sure. Because you touched on it, yeah. Can you just open up on well, that a little I more. I mean,
2: I I think the sort of the the overarching way that I think about this is that I also have a how to talk to your kids about sex course. That the goal is to help your kids have sexual integrity, and what I mean by that is how to um, basically integrate your God given sexuality. Right? So a lot of us have this idea like, well, to be good, you have to be at arm's length with your sexuality, as opposed to sexuality is a gift. It's it's a beautiful part of being human. And can I, but it's a vulnerable part of being human. And I think when we're young, we think of it as either, you know, either you're good and dutiful or you're bad and, and have pleasure. I mean, I think that's kind of an early interpretation of sexuality and pleasure and goodness. So to be strong, you you can't be a house divided. You have to basically be able to accept that sexuality is part of being human. It it is a part of like rejecting the perfectionism frame is to integrate sexuality, is to say to be human is to be sentient, alive, uh, imperfect, flawed, you know, and also have this strange thing of sexuality. So to to just to come to terms with who it is what it is to be human is its own spiritual development in my opinion and doesn't doesn't happen easily but you can have messaging that actually interferes with that process. So even though that's an unfolding process in the most ideal situation it still takes time to come to peace with your embodiment and who you are as a flawed human being. That We are often giving messages that corrupt that process, like sexuality is scary and sex is stronger than you are and watch out. And if you have these feelings, there's something wrong with you, as opposed to if you have these feelings, there's something right about you. Um, And so the, the goal of this course is how do you come to terms with accepting this part of your embodiment, but... Part of what facilitates that integration is also living up to your highest values around it. And I don't mean this in a perfectionistic way. I mean this in how do I relate to my sexuality in a way that creates joy and goodness in my life and joy and goodness in the lives of people that I care about? Right. So, what does it mean about how I relate to this? Similar to food, how do I relate to pleasure in food or how do I relate to the sensuality of food in a way that creates joy and strength in my life? Because then it gets it off of I can't, I shouldn't, and more like what am I aiming for? I want to be in a healthy relationship to let's say food, uh, to, to my body. I want to I want to nourish it. I also want to have pleasure. I want to do that in a way that that makes me a stronger, happier person, not in a way that undermines my peace with myself. So so the living up to your higher values is what is it that I'm shooting towards? And with sexuality, it's like if I want to be capable of loving through my sexuality, and I want to be capable of a deep, rich relationship, how am I, is what I'm choosing right now getting me closer to that goal or farther from that goal? Mm -hmm. So it doesn't get into this sort of struggle. I shouldn't touch myself. I shouldn't think this. I shouldn't feel that. More like, okay, what is it that I want? And is this facilitating me arriving there or not? Yeah. And so that integration, when, when you feel like you're the chooser and you are coming to the ability to accept what it is to be human, and you're in a more creative, agency based process, well, you're not in power struggles with yourself and with these messages. You're more, you're, you've got all the wheels pointing in the right direction then. And then you're more like, okay, is this really what I want? And if I don't want that for myself, what do I want? So when you when you feel like it's within you, this is what happened for my son. Like, do I really want a life where I'm in the basement on video games? Okay, like, And no, I don't. But that means I have to face things that feel scary for me. I have to confront my perfectionism. I have to kind of tolerate letting myself be human and letting myself be exposed to myself even as flawed. You know, so it's like, but I would rather do that than do this other thing to myself. And so, you know, it's like once he kind of got it from rebelling against being pressured, you know, and more into who do I want to be? That's when everything came together for him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's so, that's it. Like, I don't know how else to say it. than just like that, that's the, you know, cause I believe all truth kind of fits together wherever you find it. And I'm like, that's that's pretty pure unadulterated if you're listening. So hold on to that. Uh, so how do I, like if, if I'm day one, so I'm thinking of myself, you know, seven years ago, six years ago. And if I'm shifting my mindset on my, you know, unwanted sexual behavior, whatever it is you know, the, the, the bad things that I've done or the misaligned things. And I'm I'm trying to bounce between how everyone talks about it and how we've defined right now, how we should talk about it. So, so so catching everyone, but so that stuff, um, how do I start the conversation with my partner? Right. So how do I say to right my Christian wife, Hey, I totally believe in like this stuff I've done cheating on you is wrong. And, there's this exposure, self-accept, there's this growth that I want to be a part of. How, how do I have that conversation if I'm early in this process with my partner?
2: So I I would say it's, you don't, you don't want to be insensitive to your partner, of course. Okay. You don't want to use truth as a weapon. Some people do that, right? Mm -hmm. So you want to be clear about what you're in fact doing. But again, one of the kindest things you can do to facilitate your spouse's safety is just start showing them who you are at this point in time. Mm-hmm. And that is a kind of intimacy that doesn't feel good to either person, but it is intimate. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, when I see people start trusting their spouse, is it's strange because it's often when the darkest thing has just been revealed mm-hmm. and you see like the, the spouse starts to settle down because she's like and her respect for her husband goes up because she starts to see like he's courageous he's not screwing around anymore he's gonna be straight with me and even though i don't necessarily like what he's saying it's like the paradox like i can't believe what you're saying and i'm so relieved you're saying it (laughs) and a lot of times people are in that paradox. Like I want to get away from you. And yet I also feel more compelled and hopeful in a way that I haven't before because well, don't you something think more part honest is emerging.
0: Don't you think that there's part of that, that they knew there was dishonesty? Cause so often we hear from partners, like I knew I was doing the Disneyland Prince thing and I knew it wasn't all real. The collusion part. They kind of know. That's right? right.
2: That's right. Exactly. So it's also like, I'm not crazy. Because sometimes they know, but then they're like, they want to believe that they're wrong. And so they kind of are like, okay, I'm just one of those anxious, paranoid types. And and they kind of feel crazy, but they kind of prefer crazy to really dealing with what's in front of them. When what's in front of them emerges, there's a kind of anger, like, how come you've been lying to me? But a relief about I can track reality and a relief that this person seems to be taking himself on. When I see people start to self-confront, they're not worried so much at that point about whether or not they're, I mean, they may care about the impact on their spouse, but they're not trying to manage the view of themselves in their spouse's eyes. Mm-hmm. They have let go of how anybody else feels about this. Like when you, you know, James are just saying like, okay, here's who I am. This is what I've done. You know, that's that's a person who's no longer pretending, right? And I don't mean to say you have no places in your life where you pretend. I'm just saying that you're you're cleaner and clearer and more honest. And that makes you a more trustworthy person when you're not going to let, when, when you don't screw with the truth and when you're willing to um, allow what's true to be more important than how you're seen. Mm-hmm. And so when no you're saying, how do you do this? Image. I think it's the biggest thing is I, the only way I'm going to find my strength is to put how I'm seen on the altar and talk as honestly as I can to myself, to God, to my partner, that that is what sets you free. My favorite scripture is the truth sets you free. And when I was a young person, the thing I'm probably most grateful to my younger self for having done was I made a commitment that I would be as honest with myself as I could be when I was up against, unhappiness within myself or with other people. Like, who am I in this? What is my role in this? Um, And that doesn't keep you from any vulnerability, but it does allow you to have less vulnerability around who you are. It does allow you to become a more trustworthy person. I mean, for your spouse, we always do things in marriage that can hurt our spouse's feelings or that undermine their happiness. But when you're partnered with somebody who will yield to what is true, right? Rather than how they're seen, you know, that can make a marriage (laughs) because then you can keep self-correcting. You, you trust your spouse not to be perfect. You trust your spouse to be honest.
1: Well, and you trust yourself as a person. It's just deeply accountable, deeply accountable in, in the choices that you're going to make and why you made them. That's huge. There's no, you don't move to shame and blame anymore you're just yes. owning you're just owning yourself exactly. and your thoughts and your actions
0: totally and i I've, I've often shared with men who have not disclosed right? The truth about what's going on with them. I'm like, look, there's yeah. a real simple difference when you go home and your wife says, Hey, I love you. Or you have some, a sexual experience or eating dinner together or whatever level of intimacy, you will always have the question and the shame. If she knew, would she really, I said, look, that's right. Between me and you, I may go home and she may still be pissed or something might still be off. But at least I know when she says, Hey, I love you, or let's be intimate or do dinner together or whatever. That is, a, I can take that in because I know yep. she knows the whole thing. And so, uh,
2: and so much of being able to receive love from others, I mean, paradoxically, is to feel lovable. And I don't mean perfect or without flaw or that it isn't a gift that someone loves you because they certainly don't have to love you. Right. But to say like, I don't think they're making it on false you know, assumptions mm-hmm. and they do know who I am and they still love me. It makes it all the more precious, but also receivable. Mm
0: -hmm. So if, if I'm the partner in the collusion side of this, that I've tried to create Disneyland and I've tried to, you know, have my partner fit that Prince or princess role. And I'm on that side of it that I'm saying, I don't have some big skeleton in the closet that I need to disclose, but I want this Mm -hmm. to now enter my marriage. So switching seats to that partner, Mm -hmm. how would you approach that conversation with someone who's, you know, your gut is telling you, or they may have partially disclosed and gaslighted a whole bunch of stuff. I think what I would
2: say is, so again, you're, you're entering into a very honest conversation. It's not like I know, and I'm going to, you know, take you down. It's like, I'm going to be unflinchingly honest. I don't trust you. I don't know the contours of that distrust because I feel like you keep so much of who you are from me. But one thing I can't get away from is that I do not trust you. And I keep thinking I should pretend like I do for myself, for you. But I can't keep living dishonestly like this. Here's the truth. I don't trust you. Can you help me understand why I don't?
1: It's just straight down to the heart of it, right? I, dude, as someone
0: who, to be honest, Jennifer, as someone who is, is like fierce honesty has been a track of mine for several years of even the, like the little things, you know, um, I feel like this call to like double down on like my truth and honesty. Like I know I don't have some giant skeleton in the closet anymore, but as we've been talking about this and, and the reason I'm saying this is the, the free that you're talking about like yeah. i i have a lot of of freedom from my sexual addiction that people are are st- in process working on no judgment, whatever. But even, even with that piece, that elephant in the room, that big thing, not in, in my marriage anymore, in my life. I mean, you can read my story on the internet everywhere. Um, I still like, I feel this deep calling to what you're saying and what that tells me is like, there's a truth and a beauty here that I hope everyone listening is seeing, like to live out of that level of authenticity, to let someone love you at that level I think you said it right on. It is spiritual like that. That is a yeah. spiritual journey.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the truth will, the part they edited out was, you know, in the truth shall set you free as the truth will drive you to your knees and it will hurt. <laughs> <laughs> then it will set you free. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, we avoid the truth because it pressures our growth. It, it makes us confront what is real which can be so sobering. But that's where something strong and beautiful can grow. And it is worth it. That is where the freedom and the joy and the beauty lies. But you have to give up the superficial. You have to give up the control over how you might be seen or not seen. You have to give up your arrogance in a way. And I don't mean that just in a simple-minded way. I mean it like I'm thinking about myself. Like, I just, I want the world to be this way. I don't want to deal with that part of me. Yeah. And so, but that's an act of faith to be willing to submit to what is true. And then you have fertile ground in which to create something better, more beautiful, more worthy, stronger. Yeah. And so it's, it is absolutely what's the word? It's like the, what is the word? It's just like this true North. Mm -hmm. It's like, that is the thing to anchor to. It's the thing that will make your life stronger, but up front, it will, you'll feel so weak. That's what's the paradox is when people are self confronting and being really honest, I have so much respect for them. It's inspiring to me. Like the moral courage in it Mm -hmm. at the same time that they're like, I am, full of crap you know? <laughs> so they're like I am so like they feel humbled to the core and yet it's their most courageous beautiful reality uh, and you know just a place they can grow from but that's what true strength is is to be willing to submit to what's true yeah well
0: and and as you as you enter that life the, the other thing I think that got edited out in that scripture was ain't everybody gonna stay with you and, and everybody want right. to go because I have found, I That's have right. lost friends. I have had change in some family relationships. I have had things happen because not and it's not a hey, I'm I'm right or I'm better. I'm using air quotes. No. And no, it's right. it's the people at different times. I know earlier in my life I had pe- I had two sisters sitting at my wedding that knew I had stuff under the surface. And to your point, they didn't know the contours of what that was, but they're like, huh, I wonder how this is going to go for him. And I wasn't ready to see it. So no judgment on anyone, but a a PS to that scripture is probably everyone's not going to stay with you. Because there are people, as you step into that authenticity, um, right? To use our word, unashamed, yeah. right? As you yeah. as you be unashamed, or you know, really go to that true north. There are people who aren't ready to step out of their collusion, so they are going to distance right. themselves from you because it's it, it, it's absolutely. too overwhelming for them.
2: Absolutely, no question. Yeah, and that's the other scary part of it. As I think people sometimes think, if I do get more honest, if I do get stronger, like the, the, you know, the woman asking that question, I don't trust you. I mean, there's enormous courage in that because, first of all, my view of myself and this marriage is about to blow up. <laughs> okay. mm-hmm. And there's no guarantee that my spouse is going to confront himself or become stronger or join me in creating something better. Mm-hmm. I mean, the chances have gone up if you're going to show that kind of moral courage and really stand up for it. But there is no guarantee. And so, the load on somebody to really take that step out into the dark, I mean, that's why faith is a virtue, is you're daring to go towards what's true without the guarantee that the people that matter most to you will join you or, or grow themselves. There's no guarantee, but it's the only way to find out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um in, in hopes to uh, stand in truth, I'm going to challenge James and I to something right here with you, Jennifer, and you're welcome to join us if you would like, but I won't put you on the spot. James, sure. we have been called out by JFF to live in authenticity and truth and yes. to quit messing around and get closer to true north. So what is a truth that you need to own at myself as well? Let's name one right now. Let's take the courage. Let's be unashamed and step into a collusion that you are living in.
1: A collusion that I'm living in. Um, I'll let you take the lead on that, Steve, uh, since since that's such a brilliant idea. Um, go ahead and why don't you name one? And-
0: yeah. So um, a, a, a collusion, uh, I think, that is still sitting with me um, because it comes up all the time, Jennifer, for me, that I think um, it's it's real. Um is that because I am young in my career, so I got licensed in August as a therapist, Mm -hmm. um, because I'm young in my career and because I don't have years of sobriety in addiction recovery, um, the collusion I have with myself is don't share that information, hide it, cover it up, because then I cannot be this image this prince, to use our analogy, of someone who can actually help people. Cause in my heart I know, like, I know God has called me this place. Like I know I am capable of helping people. And and I've seen it in my work that I'm like, no, I I have something to offer in this capacity and place. But the collusion I have is like I kind of have some shame around my story. Like I kind of want to bury my head in the sand, fast forward three years. And be like, I've got the L behind my name. I'm X years sober. Um, mm-hmm. Still and still and don't have my full blessings back in the church. So rebaptized in February. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's a that's a yeah. truth I want to step into and own of of some insecurity and humanness for me that I want to do it perfect and be perfect for everyone, because mm-hmm. I believe if yeah. I do that for everyone, then they'll want me. Yeah. And not even like the money will I have clients part of it. Like emotionally that I will be accepted. Right. Totally in collusion.
2: Yeah. That's good.
0: All right. Mr. Wilhai, My turn.
1: Um, Well, you call me out on my collusion. You see it all the time and you, you call BS on it. Um, And for me, it's just that I have nothing to offer. Mm. Um, I might be, um, so the, the one that comes to my mind is that, um, yeah, you're useful, but you're not essential.
2: Mm.
1: Right. And so it's this double-edged sword of like, oh, well, you're helpful enough that people kind of would like to have you around, but you're always disposable. And right at at the core, I, I would speak to that's probably around some abandonment issues or whatever. Right. If you want to go to attachment theory or whatever but at its core um i'm i'm still working on the shame of i'm just not enough and never Mm -hmm. will be so i'm not essential in in my own life or in anybody else's life that i'm i'm just not enough and i'm like right at the core that's probably what it is just not enoughness and so stepping into that I gotta work on how is that then if I'm gonna speak in Jennifer language how is that serving me and why and um, how can I have more integrity around playing why am I playing smaller taking that one down position with myself um, all the time right or most of the time in, in this is scenarios. why I think
0: you keep sexually acting out why you don't have years of sobriety because then you'd have to own a larger story that you're someone who's overcome.
2: Hmm. Yeah. And well, and just something I think with some of my clients uh, and with myself in in this same frame is there's something about saying I'm weak or I'm not enough that just kind of, at least for me, is like a way of getting myself off the hook to this larger responsibility or to go do, or to kind of, you know, it it looks humble, it looks like safer to kind of step back so it can look good because to be self-debasing looks better than Mm self-aggrandizing. But it's also a way of sidestepping the moral responsibility to step out and take a risk or to grow into your capacity to own the fact that you have impact on other people, whether or not you're going to acknowledge you do, and you have something to offer them if you're courageous, whether or not you're going to acknowledge you do. So it's like a way of, I don't know for you, James, what it is, but I think it can be a way of like letting yourself off the hook in the name of humility, or I just don't have that much self-confidence and trying to get out of the moral conversation that we're all in, whether or not we want to be in it.
1: (laughs) Well, it's faithless really. Mm -hmm.
2: Yes, it is. And it's safe. It's safe. And a lot of times when people play small, I think it's trying to find a safety that doesn't exist because it has moral impact. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And in the, in the, in our LDS culture, I, I call it the Honda Accord ego. (laughs) Because I I drive, Jennifer, I drive a Honda Accord because I'm humble. It's a choice that I make because I don't, I don't need the flashy things. I don't, I can just sit in the back row and fold the chairs and serve because I am humble.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They're
0: which I'm like, that's as big of an ego as the guy who leverages himself to the hilt to buy a Benz. Like it's an image, it's an image management. So
2: yeah, I think that what you're saying is I kind of have certain amount of my identity that I'm, or of my flaws that I'm willing to put out there, but then maybe it gets static and there's a way in which it can become like its own story that steps away from what's true. And I don't mean to say that in a public position, you have to always be revealing everything about yourself, but, but you know, how much am I going back to this image as opposed to staying human and real and allowing myself to be knowable even to myself. I think that's just like a, an ongoing challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, let me see if I'm just thinking about what, which self confrontation I want to talk about.
0: <laughs> well, let's give some prop, let's give some props to, to JFF being real. On the spot. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, we'll see what you think after I say. It. Um, I'm just thinking about well, last night my husband and I were having a conversation about, you know, it's he was saying, I don't know if it's such a virtue in himself, because I was just saying, you know, you've been an easy person for me to trust. We were just kind of reflecting back on on when we met and fell in love with each other and so on. And you know, I said, you're, It's just been an easy person for me to be real with and an easy person for me to be honest with. And, and that's true. He absolutely has been. But I think that what was also becoming evident in that conversation, this is not such a new, new idea, but I think I was thinking about it a little bit different way is that John's tendency is to kind of his first impulse is to think it's my fault, or I'm the one who has erred here. And, you know, kind of take on more responsibility than what is his in a situation. That's his first inclination. And I have become better at this, but I know I can still take advantage of that. Like I can be upset with him and then know that I get the upper hand because he doesn't, because he'll quickly want me to not be upset with him and then take on more than is really his responsibility. And, you know, while I, in the face of that would say, no, don't do that. I know what's mine and don't take it on. But I know in myself that I can instinctively in a moment of my own dysregulation or whatever, give off energy and dysregulation that I know he'll go and start picking it up. And I like that. (laughs) So I'm just owning, you know, what I was thinking about last night is I like that and I do that still. And it's not fair to him.
0: No, that's so tender. I'm real. Mm -hmm. Totally real. Mm -hmm. And then now I'm like all the ways I'm taking advantage of Kayla in like moments where (laughs) I I go in there. (laughs) So, um, tell us where, where do they find you? Where do they find the art of loving course?
2: Sure. So my website, which is just my last name, finlayson-fife.com and on there, there's a podcast archives. You can listen to more podcasts where, there's topics, you can even look it up by different topics. Um, but then I have five courses, and one of them is the men's um self and sexual development course. I have a parallel women's course. The men's course is the art of loving, the women's course is the art of desire, but the art of loving is right there under the courses tab, online courses. And so you can do this as a self-paced course, and you then have office hours with me. There's also a Facebook group with a lot of awesome men on there that have gone through these principles have had their marriages and things really, their relationship to themselves and their sexuality evolving and their great support to other men as well. So um, just super impressed with a lot of these men and the kind of courage they have. Um, So anyway, you can find the course there and it's, it's, it's a long, it's like, I don't know, it's like at least 19 hours of content. (laughs) But it's awesome. I mean, I'm quite proud of it, actually, because, you know. Thank you for not
0: playing small.
2: Own it. <laughs> Legit. <laughs> yeah, I think for a while I was like, how can a woman be talking to men about sexuality? But I love a man and I'm grateful for his sexuality. and male, se- Masculine sexuality is such a wonderful thing and such a gift. And it, it can be anyway. And so I think, at least from my experience and my working with men, kind of what can I offer in terms of really thinking through who you are in relationship to yourself, to your integrity, to your partner, and to your sexuality and how to make that more honest and more trustworthy and also more of a source of strength and beauty in your life.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for uh, joining us and dropping just... It was raining nuggets of wisdom. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking some of your time uh, to share it here with us. This has been an absolute pleasure.
2: Thank you. My pleasure too. Really enjoyed it.
0: So if you have enjoyed listening, we always invite you to give us five stars on iTunes. That is how the world uh, finds us and decides whether or not we were are worth listening to. Um, you're, if you're looking for scholarships, help um, for anything that you need in recovery, you can go to slash scholarships. If you would like to donate and become an outsider to the bonus content and all the things we're doing there and helping fund scholarships as we are a nonprofit 501c3, um, you can go to unashamedunafraid.com donate and follow us on social at unashamedunafraid. And then until we are with you next time, what I invite you to do with your unashamed is as James, I and Jennifer have done here to step into some real truth and some of your collusion and be unashamed.